0: As an adventure journalist, I have the opportunity to meet some amazing people, and it was through the magic of social media that I became friends with climber, writer, and public speaker Jim Davidson. We first got acquainted on Facebook, but last year we met in person at a cafe in the Canadian Rockies in a town called Banff. There he told me his incredible story of friendship, adventure, and survival that's the subject of his new book, The Ledge. On a routine descent of Mount Rainier, Jim and his climbing partner, Mike Price, suddenly fell and were trapped in a deep crevasse.
1: After a few more distant impacts, there is silence and darkness beneath this cocoon of snow. I wonder whether it's quiet now because the snow has ceased falling, or because I am buried so deep that I can no longer hear what's happening on top of a thick snowpack. The silence terrifies me. I open my eyes, at least I think I do, but blackness envelops me. To make sure they're actually open, I blink a few times and I feel sharp snow crystals scratch my eyelids. I see nothing. I'm buried alive.
0: Jim's partner Mike died in the fall, and it was only after several hours of painstaking effort that Jim was able, all alone, to climb his way to safety. Despite the tragic circumstances of his story, as detailed in his book, today Jim finds great comfort in the lessons he's learned through the power of persistence, determination, and the bonds of friendship. Ironically, these are lifelong lessons that Jim picked up as a young man, not as a climber, but doing dangerous work with his father as a high-altitude painter of tall buildings, towers, and bridges. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project.
2: One of the things I found interesting about your book is that you obviously had a relationship with your father with regard to your career as a painter and climbing up on high towers and doing the really difficult jobs that his company did, apparently that no one else would do because you're painting in very dangerous places. What else did you learn from your father in terms of your relationship with him and the job that you were doing for him as a painter?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I started doing simple jobs as a child, uh, you know, sweeping floors and cleaning brushes. And as the years went on, working with my dad and my uncles who worked for the company, and the other guys in the crew, we basically would form a small, tight team doing, as you say, these dangerous jobs. And what I think I learned that was most important that's carried me to this day is the concept of you don't quit working just because it's hard. And if somebody else's life is on the line, like we're on a roof and I'm holding somebody's safety line, there is no quitting. There, there is no quitting. If you can't hold on, you wrap the rope around your leg and grip it with your teeth. And my dad used to say, if I fall off the roof and you're holding my safety line, I expect you to come to the ground right behind me on the other end of the line. Whatever it is, you do not let go. And so those were the, the things we had to do to be safe then, but those were the lessons I carried with me into my climbing career and, and up to this day.
2: I mean, and I've, That's what I really find fascinating about your story because you have a relationship with your father has absolutely nothing to do with mountaineering, but has everything, I think, to do with cooperation and the importance of teamwork. How has that impacted your, at the time, fledgling career but then lifelong career as a climber? Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean,
2: it was, it was that, really that deep commitment, yes, we're going to get a job
1: done, and yes, it's risky, but that really deep commitment that you literally are somebody's backup for their life, so there is no quitting. And I really took that deep into my bones, I guess, and it came out later when I became a climber. I found that when I connected with like-minded people, that I could trust them, they could trust me, and as a result, we could climb bigger, harder things. It was that mutual dependence
2: kind of added up that one plus one makes more than just two. Your book parallels also the life and career of your climbing partner, Michael Price. Tell me a little bit about him and how you and he met.
1: Uh, well, we were both graduate students in the fall of 1986 at Colorado State University. He was getting his master's in English, and I was getting a master's in geology. And we were connected by a mutual climbing friend. Uh, we were both real busy with graduate school, so we really didn't climb at all together for the first year and a half we knew each other. So Mike and I became friends first, and then literally a week after I defended my thesis, boom, we went rock climbing. And I don't think it was a surprise to either of us that we connected well on the rock, we knew each other well, and we started climbing together in the spring of 88. And as the next few years unfolded, we became regular climbing partners, taking on bigger challenges as
2: well as friends. Was there anything in particular about his personality or yours that you had a a distinct relationship or common bond? Well, Mike was a pretty uh, savvy
1: guy. He was well-read. liked issues like wilderness and nature and philosophy. And so we'd talk about books or stuff in the paper. And I think sometimes just just for the fun of it, he would pick a a contrary viewpoint. It didn't matter which one I picked, he'd pick the other. And on the way in, on the hike in, we would go at it for an hour about some minor point about land use or philosophy or something. And then five minutes later, we'd drop it and talk about the latest sports scores. So we had sort of diverse interests and we'd have that sort of friendly banter going back and forth. We moved together well on the rock and then we'd have beers after the climb. So obviously friendship and and partners at several different
2: levels there. You and he climbed Mount Rainier. Tell me about the the circumstances that led to Mike's death.
1: Well, we had been climbing for years, as as we discussed, and we decided to pick something that would be a little bit harder and difficult. So we chose to do an alpine route on the north side of Mount Rainier, uh, the Liberty Ridge, which is kind kind of challenging. We went to do the climb. The climb was under difficult circumstances, very icy and a lot of water ice we encountered. And we had our hands full, for sure, for about three and a half days. But we summited on June 21st, 1992, first day of summer. And after that, it seemed like everything difficult was behind us. We were coming down by a standard route called the Emmons Glacier. It's kind of one of the normal ascent routes for mountaineers on the northeast side of the mountain. We made it most of the way down. We're only about one hour from the edge of the glacier. And the warm temperatures had softened the snow. And that led to a climbing accident, which was Mike and I were roped together. I was going first, and I stepped on a snow bridge that was over hiding a crevasse. When that snow bridge collapsed, I went in. Mike slowed me down during the fall, but he was unable to dig in enough to stop me. And sadly, Mike got pulled in the crevasse behind me.
2: I find it ironic that he did exactly what your father would have expected him to do.
1: That's a good observation, yes. Uh, I actually knew that to be true at the time, and when I climbed out of the crevasse hours later, I saw the groove in the snow where Mike had done in, proving your point exactly that Mike hung on all the way to the end and past that point and
2: so he did his job as a partner and making his commitments he fulfilled it 100% the whole way. So tell me about the climb out. What was it like? I mean, What, what types of things did you encounter to basically save your own life?
1: Well the first few minutes down there both Mike and I were buried by snow. Mike was critically injured and he passed away in a few minutes when we were down there and I did the best I could to do CPR but sadly it didn't work. I couldn't bring Mike back and When I looked around, I found we were on a ledge about seven feet long and two feet wide, made of snow and ice and our pack all crammed between narrow crevasse walls. And at first I thought, there's no way. I I can't climb out of here because the walls above me were vertical ice and then overhanging ice. And I'd like to think I'm a solid climber, but I'm not a world-class ice climber. So frankly, at the time, I thought, well, maybe this is it. There's no way to climb out. But the things we've been talking about, honor and commitment, and I knew that I was alive because Mike had slowed me down doing his job for our, our partnership and even though it was seemed impossible and was scary and I was devastated at the loss of my friend I knew that the burden had shifted back to me when Mike and I do climbs we would swing leads he would lead first and then I'd lead the next pitch and the, the lead switch back to me so even though I felt overwhelmed and scared and frankly wasn't even sure I could do it the lead was in my hands and I had to do the best I could for the team and so I had my hands full trying to figure out a way to climb out of there It took me about a, a sad hour to attach Mike to an ice screw so that he wouldn't drop deeper into the crevasse to rig a rope system where I could climb free and then aid climb and self belay because there was no one there to belay me. So these were all things that I had read about and new pieces from having read books and learned some from Mike but I never strung them all together so it was beyond my technical experience. So it took a while to get ready but after an hour I started climbing and the climb out was just brutal and exhausting so it was a very difficult time. I free climbed for a bit and then I had to resort to aid climbing and it was just a slow (laughs) grinding test of perseverance to work
2: my way up that wall over one two, three, four hours. Now having made it out, and you know, here we are you know, 20 years later, <laughs> what have you learned you know, from that experience, not only your early experiences with your father, but you know <laughs> this experience having lost you, your best friend climbing partner? Well I
1: didn't know that for a while. For the first few years after I made it out I pondered that and I was glad to be alive and sad at the loss of Mike and I, I didn't know what to make of it at first. Life got a little busy, I had uh, babies with my wife and I had a job and everything, so it took a few years that went by and I kept pondering that. Every day of my life, I'd kind of ponder that. and I was a little afraid, like I was supposed to do something big and important, but I had no idea what that was. But as the years went by and uh, the pain subsided a little bit and I began looking back at that, I went back to climbing again and leading other students uh, on expeditions. And I think that was necessary. I kind of re-embraced being a climber and then I reached a little further and started taking young people on expeditions around the world. And I thought that Mike could get a kick out of that, that part of my life then was teaching others climbing like he used to do as an Outward Bound instructor. And I think that gave me some time and some distance to look back at it. And as I look back at it, I think what I learned was that certainly, you know, there's all kinds of difficulties in life, uh, you know, financial and health and that whatnot. And Mike and I went up in a situation down inside a crevasse, inside a glacier. But when you dug right in, what, it, what gave me the strength was, yes, I wanted to live and see my wife again, but that Faded as the difficulty got greater and greater. It was my commitment to Mike and the things I learned from my dad and those deep values, that's what really allowed me to hang in there on that wall when I was way past the point of physical exhaustion. So really I think what the lesson is is to take a look at your life and the people in your life and ask yourself, if I was in a dramatic and traumatic situation, what would give me the strength, the resilience to keep going on, to take that pain and that difficulty to make it through the tough time and then hopefully in time move on to remaking your life. Because if you think about who those people are, and I think it will come down to people, not things or places or anything like that. When you think about those people to know who they are, keep them close to you in case you ever get in a difficult situation, you can tap that strength. And the other thing is I'm getting a little bit older now is to think about who should I be providing that strength to so that someday when they're in a difficult situation, hopefully they can look back and pull some strength from the relationship I have with them to help them make it through their tough time.
0: The Ledge, an adventure story of friendship and survival on Mount Rainier by Jim Davidson and Kevin Vaughn, is available in hardcover and published by Ballantine Books. You can learn more online at Jim's website, speakingofadventure.com. For The Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week by Jake Shimobukuro. The Joy Trip Project is brought to you thanks to the support of our sponsor, Patagonia. Check out their conservation and new media initiatives on their blog, thecleanestline.com. Thanks for listening, but you know we want to hear from you, so please drop us a note with your questions, comments, or criticisms to info at joytripproject.com. Until next time, take care.